developing a big house where a lot of people will get educated or a lot of families perhaps if they have a kid due to this child care will be able to have a second kid because they can get a little bit of help with the child care will be extremely extremely valuable so i feel like in a way i always look at what is the impact that i'm generating besides the money this is property investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories mindset and strategies I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're back with Dan Laza, co-founder and CEO of HeroX. With a vision to make life easier and more sustainable for families in Australia, Africa and all that's in between, he's been serving heroism since Shark Tank. Thanks to his strategic approach and open communication, he's well on his way towards achieving his ultimate goals. Laza found himself a brand new transplant to Australia just before COVID-19 reared his ugly head. Despite this, he found his first development site and got stuck in. After six or seven months, they ended up settling and went straight into construction with their shovels in hand. I funded all of the costs to become shovel ready and the deposit. So when the investor came in, the deal, the deal was shovel ready. We had a uh, quantity surveyors report, we had evaluation. So the biggest two variables, the sales and the cost to, to build it, were already confirmed by third parties. So not only that they invested in something that was approved, but it was approved and also the two biggest variables were confirmed by third parties. He also had to get investors as that made for less speculation. They're not investing in a deal that Dan is saying that he's making money or that may if you buy it thinking that you'll get approval for three townhouses and you get approval for two townhouses and it no longer stacks up, it was something that its risk profile decreased a lot. The investors had confidence that the townhouses were going to go ahead, while Lazar had his own method to feel confident starting all over again on the other side of the world. I had a small chunk of money that enabled me to sustain myself for maybe, I don't know, maybe for a year and um, also cover the, the deposit and all of the expenses that we needed to make in order to get shovel ready. However, I um, the, the the business, the the second business that I mentioned with the air domes, that kept working. So um, even though we no longer do anything in Romania, because I sold the business in Romania, we we still promote this product outside of Romania. Oh, so you still have some cash flow coming in from the other business too. Fundamentally that's how I put food on the table for, for my family basically. Always equipped with an answer to every problem, he'd also figured out how to find investors for his project. Most investors were either personal contacts of mine or part of Rob's community. So by being part of the community, I, that's how I uh, found, let's say, I would say, I don't know, 75% of the capital and 25% were just personal contacts of mine, maybe relatives of mine that uh, pitched in in exchange of a fixed uh, return per annum. Between his creativity and his connections, he has a plan for every scenario. We sold all of the all of the townhouses. We, we all of them besides one that failed due to finance, and that this one is going to auction um, mid fifteenth of April. So in hopefully by end of April, we should be hundred percent done with with everything. But the construction has finalized, and now we're just due to this um, one of the townhouses 
uh, failing. It, it, it was acquired, but subject to finance. Uh, now we need to do this auction, and again, hopefully, we we get it done with uh, by the end of April. The last one would would uh, get my fun, my funds out and and the remaining investor funds as well. How profitable has this development site gone for you? Even though initially we were expecting somewhere in the range of fifteen percent profit, I would say obviously because we were still dependent a little bit on the on how the, this last um, sale will go through. It's probably around five to seven percent profit. I may be subjective, but I think this may have been one of the worst. Uh, times for the construction industry, we we've seen the even the bailout that uh, was required to to help Metricon survive. So construction costs went through the, through, the, through the roof. Even though we bought the site well, probably 10% under market. Even though we sold well, a little bit better than the, the valuation. So it's clear that we had the right product, uh, the right setup, the right location. Because construction costs just blew blew out of, of proportion to a certain degree. Um, even, even, yeah, there were shortages of, of uh, people, shortages of materials, inflation um, for the for the cost of construction. So you, it has been a struggle for a lot of people. There's no rest in store for Laza as he already has his sights set on a new site. We already secured the second one and we are shovel ready. Basically, we start to demolish next month, next week, um, a development for five townhouses next to a park. So that will be going into construction um, uh, next month and hopefully that will be a 12 month term uh, and with that being said my next one will be a childcare so I'm making a lot of offers on a lot of childcare childcare approved sites and hopefully we'll be, we will be securing something in the next three months to to be able to to start developing them and hopefully depending on the setup that we'll have with investors I'm exploring on how we may be able to keep it long term not have to sell it at the end With the delays and worldwide challenges over the past several years, he's ultimately achieved everything in just over a year. In that time, he's also learned some things about himself. Probably one of the most important ingredients, which is both a good and a bad thing, I would say was the, the fact that I feel like I'm a little bit or a lot disrespectful to myself in terms of how much I work, how much I get to sleep. So I guess when you put so much more hours in than what everybody does. In a way, the good part is that you may achieve things a bit faster. In the other way, that is maybe other things will um, you won't work as, as much in your, in, in your life. Maybe you'll get, I don't know, health issues or whatever. It's not, n- nothing in that direction uh, um, in my case, but I'm still young. So I think, I don't think I, it, it's healthy to push as hard as I pushed going forward. It's okay to push like this for periods of time, but it's unfeasible and unrealistic to continue pushing like this. So that, that, that's a very important aspect, which is both something that I did well and bad at the same time. Um, now, regarding the biggest, the biggest challenges, I would say that due to our lack of experience, everything was a challenge in a way. So we, two weeks prior to settlement, we had two lenders lined up, both of them gave up on us two, two weeks prior to settlement. Then we were lucky, we found um, a third tier lender, a private lender that agreed to fund us. Then at around the, the frame stage, two weeks prior to the delivery of the frame, the frame company comes and says, oh, we're going to be three months late. And 
even though was the builder was a little bit tolerating the situation because that was his go-to uh, frame supplier, we had to push and find a different solution. It, it was unacceptable to, to be delayed for four months just for the frame. So we ended up um, finding a steel supplier that could do it in time. And we proposed that to the builder and the builder agreed to change from timber to steel frame. So that's another, another big thing. And probably all in all is probably the biggest the biggest learning is to start from trust level zero with everybody that you're leading with. Not that everybody is worthy only of level, level zero, but in this way, if you end up, in this way, you avoid a lot of dra- drama and you being disappointed just because maybe you give somebody trust level seven and they uh, act like trust level four. So if you give everybody the... I guess trust level zero from the get-go that gives you the awareness to position yourself in a way that bad things can't happen to you. Um, the builder can't pass variations onto you uh, without being reasonable. It just just makes you more aware of the things that can go wrong and you can be a bit proactive about it. I feel like I was a bit naive in a few of the agreements that we had and that's yeah, that, that ended up uh, being uh, quite costly. When it comes to awareness, he's found a way to tap into that a little bit deeper as well. I try to meditate daily in a recent meditation. I was really analyzing where we could have improved, what we could have done differently. And one of the, definitely probably the number one thing is the clarity of our agreements that we had with all of the people that we encountered. So not having any verbal agreements, everything has to be written and whatever is written is to be extremely clear. Better spend a few hours, I don't know, one hour extra per agreement to just clarify to the maximum of your ability because otherwise you'll pay a price in uh, this lack of clarity in time in some shape, some shape or some shape or form. And I guess the, the insight that I got from, um, from this meditation, I was just thinking about this was that even though this was a costly lesson to learn as long as i leverage it and don't repeat the same mistake in the future i probably got 10 times more in value than what it cost me to learn this lesson so if the people listening can just add somewhere in their calendar or as a habit to always have all agreements in writing and to have 110 percent clarity this will enable them to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in whatever they do property-wise or not. On the flip side to the challenges he's faced, he's also had many positive moments along the way. I would say the, the biggest aha moment is how I'm improving from a strategy point of view what, what I will be doing in the future and a little bit this change to childcare. I think if you split everything in a number of variables, what is your strategy, what is your capital stack, what is your exit strategy. If you really narrow down a development to all of these variables and fine-tune everything, then I think there is a lot of ways to improve it to be more aligned with your experience or your value. So as, as an idea, as an example, moving from residential to childcare, then it opens us up to having the ability at the end to keep the childcare. So if you're in a market that is not very friendly, you can just keep your tenant in render for a year and sell the asset a year from now on, which is something that you can't do in the residential space. And that when you're a peak debt and you have investor 
investor funds um, that invested with you, you really have to sell at almost all cost in a way. So that's one of the many things that we we plan on changing. Even even from the way we collaborate with investors, we plan to work work more in a joint venture setup than a fixed return. Because then, if the result is great, then everybody is making more money. If the result is not as nice as expected, then there's not as much pressure on you as a developer. You don't have as many sleepless nights as I think I did in this first project. Coming up after the break, he explains how his childcare center idea came about. I spoke to a lot of other developers doing other things. I spoke to people doing apartments. I spoke to people doing industrial development. I spoke to people doing, I don't know, flips. I spoke to a number of people. Why being cash flow positive can be incredibly difficult. And I think residential, um, it's not really cash flow positive. He details the many ways he keeps his head screwed on straight. Two things that I think enabled me to just improve my focus lately were one the fact that i deleted all social media apps from my phones and that's next i'm taran sham and you're listening to property investory jumping from a four and five pack to childcare centers may look like a little bit of a leap but the pivot isn't as out of the blue as it may seem. I spoke to a lot of other developers doing other things. I spoke to people doing apartments. I spoke to people doing industrial development. I spoke to people doing, I don't know, flips. I spoke to a number of people and in a way, childcare seems more profitable than all of the other strategies. Seems a little bit like the one of the best strategies that you can apply. And secondly, I think it's more aligned with my values as well. I feel like um, developing a big house where a lot of people will get educated or a lot of families, perhaps if they have a kid due to this childcare, will be able to have a second kid because they can get a little bit of help with the childcare will be extremely, extremely valuable. So I feel like in a way, I always look at what is the impact that I'm generating besides the money. So I... um, I always act as aligned as I can with my values. Aligning his values with his ambitions is a great start. From there, he made an offer on every approved childcare center he could find listed online. And I probably everybody that has a childcare that is approved, even though it's not listed, it may be off the market, received some sort of communication from me, which might have been in the shape of a letter, of an agent knocking on their door, or me knocking on their door. So. I have a big pipeline. However, I'm very strategic in my approach with my first one. I just make, want to make sure that I achieve my best, the best outcome possible with the first one because then scaling will be a lot easier. If I am able to nail it and make, I don't know, 25, 25% profit on the first one, then investors will stay a little bit in line to be able to gain access to such opportunities. So that's why I think I have a very yeah, I have a very weird strategy where not only I'm looking to secure something that is approved on a small deposit with a delayed settlement, but I also want to have a period of ideally one to two months of due diligence when I will be aiming to secure a tenant. Um, in these two months, if I manage to secure a tenant, then that that enables me to 
be very clear about the numbers and not speculate for one second, basically, because we know what the rent will be paying, we, the, the tenant will be paying. We know roughly at a 5.5 or 6% cap rate what the value of the asset will be at the end. So the numbers are very clear. And again, you have an extra um, option at the end where you can sell it or actually keep it because it's cash flow positive. And I think the the biggest, in a way, one of the best things about property is how it appreciates in time. So unless you also retain property, you're always working for money. Money is not really working for you as a developer unless you retain stock. I know a lot of people say sell everything, keep one or keep all. When I look at the people that are giving these, I don't know, this advice out and I look at the quality of their life of how many holidays they do, the people that hold most or more than usual are the ones that have yeah, I guess a better lifestyle in, in time because there's just more property that grows in value and grows their equity or equity component. For the moment, his plan is to switch completely from townhouse development to childcare development as cash flow producing assets. We'll either do one childcare and then we'll do another one or we'll do a childcare and then at the same time we'll try to do a rooming house but I'm sort of switching um, to, to childcare producing assets, so uh, sorry, sorry, to cash flow producing assets, and I think residential, um, it's not really cash flow positive, or it's very, it's extremely hard to be cash flow positive. Even if you do apartments, then yes, maybe they might be cash flow positive, but then you don't get as much appreciation. So then, in the end, you're far better to do something in the commercial space. As for mindset, he takes a technology-focused approach to a traditional medium for daily morsels of bite-sized knowledge. I use an app called Headway and in this app, they basically give you a 15 to 20 minute summary of a book and I basically listen to a book per day and then I try to get at least one action from there to implement that day. So I guess that, that's a, a very, very good research and, research and something that I think Two things that I think enabled me to just improve my focus lately were one, the fact that I deleted all social media apps from my phone. So there's nothing, no negative distractions that are, I don't know, next to my, in, in my phone, um, weaponizing my focus against me. That's that's something very, very important. And probably secondly, um, I, the, the fact that I, I'm fasting and I eat as probably 90% of the days, one meal per day. I think it just improved my productivity and then my mental energy with 10 to 20% probably. Quantity-wise, I'm not eating less. I'm basically eating two meals per day, but inside of a one one or two hours per day. There's a lot of a lot of value from a health point of view. I can go in the, uh, about that one as well. But also, you just have more blood in your head the whole day and you, or more energy in your head to focus on what the task at hand and you just decrease probably the level of um, focus that you have when you're eating for one to two hours per day. So I think having when, when you're eating, I, the way I see it, blood is moving from your head to your tummy. So I just leave my blood in my head to give me maximum focus. I've done a test recently. Uh, um, I'm not advertising this in any way. It's called Viome. Basically, you give them three samples of of uh, speed, different different other other things, 
and then they look at you from a DNA point of view and see which foods are more efficient for you. So they give you a huge list of foods that are super foods, okay foods, foods that are not really okay and foods that you need to avoid. And again, aligning my, my eating habits to these new uh, insights, again, I think it really, it, again, it just improved the, my, my efficiency a lot lately. If you went back in time and you met yourself 10 years ago, what do you think you would have said to him? Very good question. I would probably say a two-part message. Part number one is be more brave and trust in your abilities. I think for me, it took a little bit of time to just break the glass ceilings above my head of am I good enough to do a business that goes international? Am I good enough to do property development? Am I good enough to do property development in Australia? So I just, I think I had a little bit of, or a number of limiting beliefs in a way. Um, that may be part number one. So just be a bit more brave and ambitious and trustworthy in your own abilities. Um, and second step, just start property earlier. I feel like in a way, even though it's a, it's a good thing that I had a tennis academy, which was a small business, and then I had the air domes, even though I, I feel like if we're talking about money making, I l- wasted a little bit of my time. I could have done, I don't know, a small project that would have would have made the same the same amount of money. The good part is now that now I have a little bit of cash flow due to, due to that business. But the yeah, I think going into property earlier just gives you more time to learn learn make make mistakes, uh, connect with people, and just yeah, I think property is a very safe bet in a way. Obviously, depending on how you do it and how much leverage and how risky is your game plan. But there's not a lot of things that have a better risk-reward ratio than property, in my opinion. He shares some tips on how he overcame his limiting beliefs along his journey. Uh, I think one part is surrounding yourself with people that made it. I feel like myself surrounding with or having the chance to be around the richest guy in Romania, is the biggest property developer in Romania, you just, in a way, you realize how smart they are, but you also realize that they're human. And you're also human, and by consequence, if you do all of the right actions and your discipline and you take as much level of action as they do, it's likely that you might achieve similar results. Obviously, they might, maybe they got lucky at some point or another, but I think seeing that somebody else did it, can also break the glass ceilings that I think we all have in a way above our above our head. Again, if you watch uh, Married at First Sight or just wasteful shows like this, I don't think there's a lot that you can learn, but listening to a podcast or being very disciplined on how you spend your time or who you spend your time with can, can lead to you breaking these glass ceilings faster, I guess. If we're talking about money-making then I think we all are have for sure a, a few or a lot of limiting beliefs because in a way, if we, let's say, let's say the, we come, we have a lunch and we agreed, okay, our objective for the next 24 hours is to make a billion. The objective is 100% not impossible. If we were at the same table with Elon Musk and we would give Elon Musk the task to make a billion, Elon Musk would make a billion in 24 hours. However, 
99.99% of us don't achieve uh, the same outcome. And again, that also is due to the vehicles that we have, the businesses that we have and so on, but also due to our limiting beliefs in a way. Well, on the flip side then, Dan, what are you most excited about that's going to happen in the next five years for you? I'm very excited about this childcare path that I think I'll be taking. My vision is for Dan Lazar, not in five years, but in 10 years from now on, is a guy that has developed 100 childcares. So if each childcare has 100 kids, um, then that's uh, a but like 10,000 kids are more are getting an education and 10, maybe 10,000 families are getting um, help through the childcare and potentially they can get another kid or another kid and things like this. So that, that, I guess that, that's my vision. A guy that has developed 100 childcare in the next 10 years that hopefully will be smart enough to make enough profit and for each childcare that he develops to also build a school in Africa. So that's that's my my vision at the moment. Let's see if I manage to do it. For each childcare that I do to also build a school in Africa, I've, uh, I've contributed to a school that is getting built now in Africa. And as soon as it's finished, I'll go visit it. And if it's generating the impact that I think it's generating, I, I also want to double down in this direction. So I, I'm very... I don't care about countries. I don't care about me being from Romania or Australia or Africa. I just, Africa, I think it's a more of a better spot due to the, the, the impact that that your money could generate. So with 100K, you can build, um, I don't know, a school for 300 kids in Africa, something that is impossible both in Romania and in Australia. So I think you just, just and, and again, because due to the fact that the kids have zero education there, if you look on a longer time frame, one generation, two generation, three generations, then maybe you might be educating a little bit, a huge number of people. How much of your success do you think has been due to your skill, intelligence and hard work? And how much of it has been due to luck? I think it's a combination of things. I think a lot is luck as well. The fact that I had two parents that were educated me, that showed me things, um, I think it's very important. If I would have been born in Africa, then my life path most likely would have been a lot different. So even though I work crazy hours and I am very driven and I try to do my best to educate and always improve as much as I can, luck plays an important part. So I think from the person that you marry to the parents that you have to the place that you, you're born in to the people that you stumble upon. So even this, this experience, how I heard the conversation while playing tennis, and that conversation led, led, led to me helping a guy who ended up being the biggest property developer in Romania. What if I didn't go and play tennis that day? But, 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 but in a way, working really, really hard, I think it just increases the surface, the surface where we can be lucky. I, that, that, that in a way, the, the more you work, the more luckier you get a little bit, just because you have more chances to be lucky. Thank you to Dan Laza, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.